Welcome to the Perfume Room. Today I am wearing three different fragrances, all in the Orange Blossom Narrowly family. I've really been reaching for that recently, and not just because it's the May Smell Club theme. I think ever since I smelled A Lab on Fire, Freckled and Beautiful, which you guys have heard me talk about before, it's this like amazing heliotrope, narrowly honeysuckle, milk, biscuit, banana fragrance. And I was like, ooh, like I had never thought of notes of narrowly and honeysuckle and heliotrope as feeling so like cloud-like and biscuity and gourmandy. And then that got me craving this sort of like jammy, honeyed, candied, narrowly scent. So I asked the Fragrantica gods and they led me to Narrowly Blanc Intense by Opé de la Fleur d'Oranger. Now this fragrance came out in 2005. So I feel like it was really ahead of the curve of this sort of like gourmandy, orange blossom type sense when you think of like Love Don't Be Shy or Oriana or even Freckled and Beautiful that have just been booming in the last few years. This one has been around for over 15. I found a bottle of it on Mercari by a highly reviewed seller, and the rest, as they say, is history. Now, does this fragrance scratch the itch? Honestly, not entirely. I don't dislike it. I'm actually really enjoying it. But it's not quite the candied, jammy, narrowly that I envisioned. Instead, it just feels like a very, very sweet saccharine white floral orange blossom, which is interesting because the name is Narrowly and not Orange Blossom. And of course, I didn't really look into the notes until after. And then I looked on Fragrantica and it is an orange blossom fragrance. So then that got me thinking, okay, what do I have to compare it to? Don't worry if you're listening and you're doing May Smell Club. None of the fragrances I'm about to mention are in the sample pack, so these are not spoilers. But I pulled out Nobile Perdizioni and Memo Sintra. So if Narrowly Blanc Intense is a very sweet white floral orange blossom, Memo Sintra is a very milky, marshmallowy Narrowly. There are notes of orange blossom and Narrowly listed, but for me, I really get the Narrowly over the orange blossom in Sintra. And the first thing it actually reminded me of was Commodity Milk Expressive with like a Narrowly twist or overdose. If you guys remember, when I first smelled Commodity Milk, I was like, this smells like the inside of a white mint uh, Tic Tac box container. I almost said Tic Tac. Tic Tac. It's like marshmallowy and it feels lactonic, but there's this like hint of mint. And that is exactly what I get in the background of Sintra. And then Perdizioni really does feel like that 50-50 balance of orange blossom and narrowly. And when I first smelled this, it was like an instant love for me. I loved the sweet narrowly element. It definitely scratched that itch for me. But I will say on my skin, and maybe it's just today, I don't know, there's something that smells a little ammonia-ish that's coming through that I can't quite place. So have I found the perfect orange blossom and or narrowly scent? I guess you'll just have to wait for May Smell Club to find out. Okay, one other housekeeping announcement before we get to today's guest. May 21st is Perfume Room Live. If you're in New York, you can get tickets in advance. They're $20. If you can't attend, you can stream the event online for $10. There is going to be a surprise musical performance. There are going to be sponsored giveaways. There is going to be trivia. There are going to be games. There's going to be a panelist discussion, and the panelists include Perfume Room veteran, Bass Note Bitch, you know her, you love her, our friend Liz Renstrom, as well as TikTok B-School beauty expert, Dolma, as well as another TikTok fragrance content creator who's also a fragrance specialist, Travalia Wallace. 
And then the interview is with Shabnam Tavakol, who is the founder and perfumer behind Kismet Olfactive. It's gonna be the most fragrant night in New York, and I hope to see you there. Now let's get to our guest. Today's guest is a veteran beauty industry executive turned fragrance founder, Michelle Feeney. Michelle was the VP of Communications at MAC, where she spearheaded the MAC AIDS Fund and Viva Glam initiatives. She launched Creme de la Mer in the U.S. She's the former CEO of Saint-Tropez. And now Michelle is the founder and CEO of Floral Street, which is a fragrance brand known for its sustainable packaging and ingredients. Master perfumer Jérôme Epinette is the perfumer behind all the fragrances in the line. And in this episode, Michelle and I chat about her time in PR in the 90s in New York City, the piece of advice she can never forget that she received from Liza Minnelli, Floral Street's expansion into the home fragrance space, the collaboration process of working with Jérôme and Roberté, and of course, the smells most personal to her. Michelle also generously gave a 20% discount code to listeners of the podcast, so keep listening for that code. Here is Michelle Feeney. Michelle, hello. Welcome to The Perfume Room. How are you doing today? Oh, hi. I'm doing great, thank you, here in London. The sun's shining. The trees are out. We're, uh, we're, we're having a good day. So, Michelle, I always start the podcast with the following question, which is, what are you currently wearing? Fragrance-wise, of course. Fragrance-wise. Well, today I have, as you can see here in my home office with the sun shining through the window, um, I've got Sunflower Pop on. Ah. And that's um, our latest fragrance that we... we um, have produced in collaboration with the Van Gogh Museum. So it's very sunny, it's very uplifting, and it's sort of reflecting how I'm feeling today. That's lovely. Well, I actually have questions for you later about that collaboration. So okay. I, will, I will hold off making a mental <laughs> note right now. But the other question I always open with at the beginning is, what are your thoughts on signature scents? And if you had to have one, what is yours? Wow. Well, I actually, the, 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 one of the stimulus for me crazily launching the fragrance brand at 53 um, was the fact that I felt that there was too much emphasis put on signature scent mm -hmm. and that and and what I questioned was everybody says I have a signature scent but then it's the scent that everybody else is using so mm -hmm. I, I I found that quite strange um, but um, so really I think our whole ethos at Floral Street is really about who will you be today? And my take on fragrances, whatever you're wearing, what event you're going to, the image you want to get across, you know, f f smell is a really powerful tool. And when somebody enters the room and you, you, you might smell them first rather than see them in a weird way. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, your signature for that day or for that evening, your scent should express that. So for me, if I was to say what, what, what fragrance sums me up the most, I guess it might be one of our darker, more intense fragrances mm. that I call my rock royalty, you know, which reminds mm. me of my days growing up in New York when I was going to gigs and, 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 um, and parties and things. So if I'm dressed up for an evening, I, I sort of drench myself in Black Lotus. And it's powerful. And mm -hmm. you definitely know I was in the room. Um, yes. But then my daytime signature, um, it's, it's 
one of our um, fragrances called Iris Goddess, and I feel it's polished and it's professional and it makes me feel polished and professional. Okay, I actually have a question about that because I have been so fortunate enough to experience Floral Street products, um, you know, in the last few months. I don't, I don't believe Iris Goddess was in the Discovery set, right? No, it isn't actually, because um, the challenge of doing business is, it's what's really popular with with consumers. You really mm-hmm. you really focus on, and and Iris Goddess was one of our first fragrances. But it is it is um, it, it's maybe a little bit different to some of the others, and mm-hmm. it hasn't been adopted um, in a more in a wider audience. So for for America, for instance, um, the American consumer tends to like lighter, fruitier fragrances. Mm-hmm. And this is a little bit more subtle. And I think maybe if we were doing, you know, a discovery set for France or somewhere, it might be different, but uh, mm. it's not in, it's not in this, but you can get it online in America. I'll send you some, you can see what you feel. Well, I am an Iris Oris lover. It is my favorite oh. note ever. And I realized when you said that, I'm like, that is the only, I think that's the only fragrance in the whole line that I have not um, smelled. So I well, there you go. Smell. And that's yes. pointed out to me that, you know, we shouldn't always do things because, you know, the sales figures tell us so, you know, there's, there's, mm. the, the, there's a lot of people out there that love lots of different types of fragrances. It's true. You know, well, one thing that I think is really interesting about Floral Street that I think is a misconception is the packaging is so cheerful. The name is Floral Street. I think if you didn't have a chance to experience the Discovery set, you wouldn't know that the line has these has a sheep fragrance and like a a coffee like scent. Like that there's all these espresso. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. So, do you have a fragrance controversial opinion or hot take? Wow. Um... I think when I've come into into fragrance, which I hadn't really done before, although I've had 30 odd years in in the beauty industry, I think what I noticed more than anything was how sort of sex was used to sell fragrance, Mm -hmm. um, mainly through TV commercials or even the language that was spoken and assumptions that were made about particularly females wanting a fragrance to achieve a certain end goal Mm -hmm. and I I really question why you know that might be quite controversial but why big companies are still doing that really Mm -hmm. in this Mm -hmm. day and age and in in Floral Street we we purposefully don't put sex or sexy in anything in any copy that we do or anything I think Mm -hmm. you can choose choose yourself what what evokes that feeling for you and I'm not saying a fragrance shouldn't do that for you but I think being you know really marketed to about sex is the only object I think my controversy is you know don't let sex sell it to you and I feel that it's an easy option for a lot of companies to go that route rather than do maybe what we're doing which is a bit slower but Mm-hmm. You know, I want to help people become connoisseurs of fragrance to know mm-hmm. what those ingredients are, like we said about iris, you know, to know where it comes from, how expensive it is, how it got into your fragrance, what you love. Mm-hmm. So I think things are moving in that direction now. But um, my controversy is, you know, stop big brands that have big budgets and can and, and make big difference in the world is kind of, you know, do things a bit better. Don't sell a wrap 
your boxes to sell your products in in duty free or anywhere else that isn't good for the environment but mm. more so for the human being you know let's encourage people to not have sex be the only only lever right the sex will come you know if you feel confident oh, oh, enough yeah. in the fragrance so <laughs> you don't need to write it on the bottle you could just do it right you don't have to talk exactly. about it exactly and you talked about ylang ylang espresso i've had many a person tell me that it it does tend to lead to that with their partner so okay. it's quite funny going back to sex cells okay i know mm. that you lived in new york in the 90s working yep. in pr Yep. Are you the Samantha Jones of your generation? What was your life like in New York City? Um, if I'm honest, it was really sex in the city. But I wasn't just one of those characters. I was kind of a bit of each one because mm-hmm. um, I was a single mom. Um, mm-hmm. I Before I went into Estee Lauder companies, I actually had my own PR agency, Light Samantha. Um, and one of my clients is Peter Gation, who owned initially the limelight then I launched Club USA tunnel and so I was this kind of um PR of the night I had a car that took me between between the clubs everybody wanted to get into the clubs you know so Madonna would be through the door and then Mark Morris and the dancers so I and because I was working I was sober uh, and able to absorb all of this going on Um, and a lot of fun was had a lot of hard work but a lot of fun and um and also the outfits and the approach and the people you met, it was it was very, very free spirited. Mm-hmm. Um, and looking at that, you know, the, 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 the sequel to that Sex in the City um, kind of show um, saddened me a bit, really, because I, I don't think just because you are a bit older, you have to throw all that up approach to life out the window so uh, but yes the sequel was very disappointing for so many reasons (laughs) yes exactly but I think I was a bit of all of those but Samantha yes I was the PR's PR and um and and fun was had and brands and people and magazines wanted to have fun wanted to do a lot of events um and what came with that was incredible creative outputs and um Mm. you know most of us that were working in that world went on to do things in fashion or beauty or mm-hmm. publishing because it was a time when you could be really, really creative. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you lived in New York at this time. Do you mm. have any um, really crazy New York stories or like horror apartment stories or anything of the like? Not the horror, no. I mean, I was, I was, I was sort of lucky enough. Um, I mean, I moved to New York crazily. I gave up a really good job and moved to New York. And and my um, boyfriend at the time who I went with, who became the father of my son, but he was in the record industry mm. and um, he had an album to produce and Whitney Houston had a song on hold and it was all very glamorous. So so we had this kind of, he'd found us a really quite nice apartment. We had no no furniture in it, but, but, mm-hmm. but, but we had this quite nice apartment. And um, I just remember sitting, it was a really hot August in New York City I just got there it was raining I think so steamy one of those steamy days and I'm on sitting on this mattress on the floor feeling really sorry for myself and I just thought Michelle Feeney pick yourself up you're in New York nobody knows you're here come on and I had I had two contacts to call people one was Corinne Corbett who I'm 
ever indebted to, who was a journalist on Elle magazine. And the other was a PR agency, I think. Anyway, mm -hmm. they started putting me on the list for all the PRs and I started getting invited to things. And then I literally built my business from that. So mm -hmm. very, very grateful. So, but I didn't have a horror story on that front. Um, I really didn't. And I think you're, if you're in New York, you have to have a certain approach to life don't you that mm -hmm. nothing is gonna nothing is gonna get you down you know you are mm -hmm. gonna pick yourself up and get on absolutely so we were talking a little bit earlier and you mentioned um you know just crazy stories of the business I feel like you mentioned something about Liza Minnelli I would love to hear any <laughs> wild stories you have <laughs> well I've got I've got lots of wild stories that I can't really tell about people mm -hmm. in the clubs and what they got mm -hmm. up to you know ah, from okay. all sorts of actors and actresses and different things it was it was that sort of time in New York um, but um, Liza who I believe I mean was at the Grammys unfortunately in a wheelchair but mm -hmm. we'd signed Liza Minnelli to do a collection uh, of products for Mac and so I'd been in her apartment in her bathroom sitting on the floor sort of going through the products with her with the head of product development at the time and then she came to London and we did an event and she was getting ready for the event and she realized she didn't have any pantyhose so here I am a vice president of communications at Mac for a billion dollar brand and she's like you've got to go and get me these pantyhose <laughs> and she shared with me so I'm in Phoenix getting pantyhose for Liza Minnelli I'm thinking is this my life um, and she shared with me that she doesn't wear underwear she just wears the pantyhose so that when she's all dressed up on set it's pretty easy to go to the bathroom news I did not need sharing but it's quite a good tip if you're at an event I think okay you know? good to, you know I've been curious about the undergarments of Liza Minnelli for a long time so we're finally settling <laughs> this but you know what she was an absolute joy of a person I remember her also saying to me if you haven't got it you'd paint it on you know some of these more mature actors performers really know how to do makeup really well and mm. and take themselves seriously from an outfit you know perspective mm -hmm. so I, th I think there's always something but I had lots of fun lots and lots of fun experiences well you're talking about Liza Minnelli and these other actresses you know knowing how to do their makeup in these ways and yeah. I think I, you know, I read about your background and I know about mm -hmm. your background, but for everybody listening, you were, you mentioned Mac. I know you were at, at Estee Lauder for a number of years. You've launched multiple yep. brands. Can you share the big picture of your career with our listeners? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, I started life in the 1980s, another exciting decade in London, another exciting city at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and I did fashion show production, which wasn't a big, you know, it was all new. There wasn't, there was only Paris that did a sort of a fashion week really at that point. So we invented, you know, that we, we, we launched the um, London fashion week. So I was doing that. And along with that PR and some beauty PR, and then I got headhunted by an amazing um, lady called Lynn Franks. And if anybody has ever seen Absolutely Fabulous, the series, that was based on our agency and her. So it was, a yes, all written. And, and at first when I was watching it a bit, you know, I thought, oh, my God, this isn't that funny. This was real life. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's, it was so close to home. Um, and I had all these really empowering females in the 80s. And again, lots of fun, not much money was made. 
um, but we always looked good. There was lots of parties to go to. Um, and then I moved to New York and I started my own agency and I launched, I worked with Michael Gordon, Bumble and Bumble. He gave, he, I went sort of in, he gave me some office space, which mm -hmm. was really generous. People would barter in the 90s in New York. So I've got office space, you've got a skill set, let's put mm -hmm. them together. Mm -hmm. um, and I worked with him to launch the products in 1993. Um, and that led to a reputation in New York, which led to a phone call from Estee Lauder Company saying, would you come and speak to us? And then I ended up with 11 years you know, in an executive position in um, Estee Lauder companies, which was an amazing experience in, you know, the mid 90s onwards, uh, where I had a global role in lots of big, I launched Creme de la Mer from scratch. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a big global brand now. And right. Mac was really an amazing time. It was seven years of my life. I was involved with launching 40 countries. And the joy of that was marrying the Mac AIDS fund with a cosmetic line mm. so we we're raising money for men women and children living with hiv and aids mm. and that was the only advertising that mac did actually so they didn't and i worked with the united nations as mm. well and they put me on this group in for aids in africa um, and to be able to go to the un give them money but also stimulate a whole slew of people, including Bill Gates, getting behind AIDS in Africa at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I signed um, Elton John as well to start telling that story. Mm -hmm. It was an incredible journey, um, working really hard as usual, but, you know, an, a wonderful time in my life. Um, and then I got married at 40, moved to England, had my second child, and here I am doing my own brand. I don't think that people realize the activism component of Mac. I mean, as you say it, it sort of like unlocks that memory for me. But I, I don't think when I think of Mac that I remember like exactly how much AIDS activism work the brand did. And RuPaul was this was the spokesperson when we, we bought the brand. Right. And, you know, some of the southern states um, department stores wouldn't use um, the visual in store. Wow. Wow, yeah, I mean, it was a real platforming brand before anybody else was doing that. And right. um, I've tried to integrate that into everything I've done. So mm -hmm. even launching my own brand with Floral Street, you know, we're the first to do sustainable packaging and right. fragrance and things like that. I think beauty has this tremendous power. You know, we, we all, particularly women, but everybody now but you know but I speak to being a woman I it has power you know we we want to look good we want to feel good that's mm -hmm. more important really than anything um and I think brands that don't use that power wisely I um I, it disappoints me slightly really I think I agree yeah I think it's I think you took all of your experience of sort of this social activism with Mac and extended it to mm -hmm. the sustainability front and another thing I'm curious if there were any parallels is that Mac, and I remember as, you know, a mall goer in my teen years, mm. Mac was really the first store that um, sort of put makeup artists as like celebrities and like at the forefront mm -hmm. and mm. made consumers feel like there's a possibility you could potentially recreate this look. And it was like everyone always had like the coolest eyeshadow, the coolest makeup. With that said, did you take anything from that ethos into Floral Street? Sure, I absolutely did. I, I like to say, you know, you're, you're 
a lot younger than I am, but I, 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 my team who are a lot younger than I am as well, I always tell them there wasn't a tool belt in sight on the shop floor until Mac, right? Mm-hmm. So they completely mm-hmm. revolutionized. They validated being a makeup artist as a career, mm-hmm. not just something rarefied that happened in Hollywood. And they also helped the consumer become their own makeup artist, right? Mm-hmm. So they were leading all this. I don't know if they still are, but but they were. I have learned something along the way from every single experience I've had. The big one for me with fragrance was I want to help the consumer become that expert, a connoisseur of fragrance. So like mm-hmm. wine tasting, you know, right. let's, in fact, I was at a wine tasting, you know, when I had this aha moment right. of, this is how we need to do it. You know, why, why don't we take people through this? And also giving credibility, not just somebody spritzing fragrance on you in a store, but training somebody to be a floralista. That's what we call, Ooh, um, you know, floralista. our team. Yeah, a floralista. And um, just to be able to be knowledgeable and knowledgeable to the consumer. So I took took that mm-hmm. idea from Mac mm-hmm. and uh, uh, put that experience into fragrance, really. So I had the privilege of attending Scent School, um, mm-hmm. which for everyone listening is this really cool program. I don't know if it's normally in person, but at least during these times I did it virtually. And I was sent this kit with like scratch and sniff for each fragrance of like the hero notes. And you could scratch it and smell what that note smelled like as a raw material. And I'm curious... Is that an experience that um, any consumer of Floral Street can have? Yeah, we are um, in America. We're just about to launch it. So mm-hmm. watch watch out for that. Um, but yes, I mean, we, we've successfully been doing it here in the UK. We started it in our store. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, when lockdown came, I'm like, OK, it's going into a box. Um, and the fun of it, although we're into digital worlds, the absolute fun, I think you'll agree, Emma, of scratching and sniffing and smelling it's ingredients so and learning. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. It's not expensive at all. Mm-hmm. And lots of people say, oh, I did it with my friend or my, even the kids often, you know, mm-hmm. and they all had a great time. So the whole idea of bringing fun into fragrance rather than just sex into fragrance, you know, this was the, mm-hmm. this was the sea change for me. Um in that it should be fun it shouldn't be hard work and it also shouldn't be wildly expensive I don't believe right um you know uh, to be able to smell good really I mean I love that and I think even as someone who um feels pretty deep in the trenches of fragrance I found it fun and educational and I'm curious with all that said what was your relationship to fragrance prior to Floral Street you were very much in the skincare and makeup industry were you wearing fragrance as a consumer Yeah, but I was a consumer, Emma. I was a consumer. I mean, I'd worked when I was on a very cool brand in Estee Lauder companies called Prescriptives. Mm. We had a a fragrance called Calyx and it was an amazing fragrance. And that was my first professional brush with fragrance, how it came about, what it was made up of. What was it made up Um, of? We must know. Well, no, it was, it's a real, they should bring that back if they, if they haven't already. It was a real cult fragrance and, um, you know, Evelyn Lauder, who was Leonard's um, wife, mm-hmm. uh, really loved fragrance and the team there were, were exquisite. They, they still are, I'm sure, at coming up with fragrances. But I was a consumer and 
I think that's helped me make a, my brand modern because I've got the consumer head on. I'm not thinking it has to be a certain way. Mm-hmm. I didn't know very much. I knew what I liked and didn't like. I had met quite a lot of perfumers in New York and hung out with them. Um, they're all really, really interesting characters. And I, I also think coming from working with fashion design, like Alexander McQueen and people like that, who I knew really well. But, you know, the, the perfumer to me is like the fashion designer, right? Mm-hmm. So most fragrances that you will buy have been designed by a nose, not by a brand, not by a celebrity. Mm-hmm. Even if the celebrity says, oh, I had such a big hand in this, it will be a creator that has made it, you know? So mm-hmm. uh, they're very interesting people. So I knew that. I knew it was an art and a science. I knew what I liked and didn't like, but what my big challenge was, it nobody was doing sustainability. Nobody was doing it like, come on in. It was all mythical French, you know, we're going to keep you out of this, this process. Mm-hmm. And I think the modern consumer wants to come on in. Mm-hmm. So when I worked with Jerome Epinette, who is one of the master perfumers in the world, mm-hmm. um, I didn't try and do his job for him. And I didn't say, I like Iris, so I want every fragrance to be Iris. Mm-hmm. I said, here's my mood boards. These are my sort of characters, if you like. I want to do six fragrances, it was at the beginning. And I had mood boards and names and words associated with it. And I presented them to him and said, you create. And he created those fragrances to go with the moods. I didn't interfere. You know, some of them I wouldn't have worn. Like an ingredient, like for me, vanilla. Mm -hmm. If you'd have said to me before I did this brand, what is the one ingredient you don't want in your fragrances? Mm. I would have said vanilla because mm-hmm. I, it, I I don't like it. However, what I've learned, the job he's done with vanilla in Wild Vanilla Orchid is amazing. And mm-hmm. now I wear vanilla. So I think it's about surprising yourself, testing, you know, not saying I'll never wear a color or I'll never, I'll never wear a lipstick that's this color. We don't do that. We experiment mm-hmm. and we try. And I think fragrance should be as much fun and as much experimentation, really. Right. My perfume juice of the day is, did you guys know that you can vote in the Fragrance Foundation Awards? One of the misconceptions about the TFF Awards is that it is an industry event only, but there are four categories of consumer choice voting. There's women's prestige, which are bottles that are full size that retail for 100 to 200, women's popular, which are bottles in the 60 to 100 price point, men's fragrances, as well as home and candles. If you would like to cast your vote, all you have to do between now and May 20th at 9 p.m. Eastern is go to fragrance.org and it will prompt you to the voting page. That's literally it and you can cast your votes. Now let's get back to Michelle. How did this partnership with Jerome Epinet specifically come about? How did how did Floral Street and Jerome align? Well, I asked advice of a a very trusted um, person in New York who who I worked with on Mac for seven years, and um, I said, "I'm thinking of doing this, and what do you think?" I'm a bit scared about doing my own brand, and he's like, "Do it, do it. You know, it's a great name. Just do it, do it." And um, I said, and I'm also thinking of using Robert A, who are one of the perfume houses that mm-hmm. do the most natural ingredients. So they are mm-hmm. very specialist at growing um, and having relationships with growers around the world. And, um, and he said, yes, they're great. And he sent an email 
to Robert A and introduced me. And then the, the team at Robert A said, you're going to work really well with Jerome. Mm. And we do. And it's literally like a partnership. It's, it's, you know, I'll have an idea and he will take what's in my head as an idea and make it into a perfume, which how incredible is that? You know, mm-hmm. if, if you could... Emma, what idea would you have that you would like made into a perfume? You know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's a brilliant way to work. Um, and I think what's unusual for him is a lot of briefs into perfumers are very specific. Mm-hmm. And and because mine is a bit more free, you know, free spirited about the, the brief, if you like, mm-hmm. um, I think the result is really, really good. But it's definitely an art. Yeah. So when you started Floral Street, what ideas did you have in your, like, what, were there any that you were like, these are the two I know I'm going to launch with? Like, what, what were you visualizing? Or did you have all six in your head? Do you know what? I didn't. That was, I I look back, you know, we're only, we're only four years old and Mm -hmm. we're in 22 countries now. And, and I, I sometimes pinch myself and say, oh my God, you know, is this really happening? But I, I had very specific vision on the types of moods that the fragrance were and for a very very modern customer as in and I don't mean an age I just mean a modern customer somebody that wants to experiment somebody that wants great product but wants a bit of education on that somebody who cares about the environment you know so those were all the factors Mm -hmm. um and he came up with 23 fragrances for me to choose from when I went back four weeks later I was like oh my god God, what what do I do here? I've only got budget for six. We ended up doing eight. And beyond that, you know, we've now got 11. And it's sort of been a natural evolution. But I wouldn't have our number one selling fragrance is Wonderland Penny, which is amazing fragrance, Mm -hmm. but it's lighter and it's softer. And when you ask me which one of these would be you it wouldn't be that one you know Mm -hmm. so the thing is as a sort of a founder but also a CEO you have to go okay that how surprising is that to me that that that's turned out it's taught me a lot really and it's I've learned a lot about how people hold themselves back from choosing the right fragrance because they're a bit scared of it or say oh I don't really buy fragrance you know somebody buys it for me at Christmas or or the other one is I save it for best Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. because it it costs so much money well I think you should be able to enjoy things every day really right um and now future looking um you know I'm working on another fragrance at the moment but it's we've had the last two years have not been about traveling to inspire Mm -hmm. you or or in real life experiences to inspire you so it's um that's why I think we're seeing this metaverse word all the time so Mm -hmm. even if we're not transitioning into the metaverse the digital world has definitely affected creativity over the last couple of years Mm -hmm. I think is there anything that you can tell us about that 12th fragrance that you're working on no, I just think I just think it's this, um, you know, it's it's this future forward, but with a foot in nature, I would say. Ah, so okay. um, very cryptic, you know, very cryptic. Michelle. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I I think most of most of us feel like we've got one foot in the past and one foot in the future a little mm-hmm. bit with everything. For sure. So I'm curious. I mean, I know you mentioned at the beginning, um, you know, what what fragrances uh, you're currently wearing and what you're working on. Is there a scent in the line that you feel best encapsulates your persona, your personality? Well, I think, well, I like to say, actually, Emma, um, 
I'm female and you know my mood can change four times in one day so I can relate I get it to be able to tap into um into that um you know as I said I think Black Lotus is a real rock rock royalty um but I was recently in Rome and I was wearing Ylang Ylang Espresso because it's very Italian it's got coffee in Mm -hmm. it and that's what I mean I'm enjoying fragrance a completely different way Mm -hmm. than I would have done before I did this brand I would have been more I've I've paid you know 200 pound for this fragrance Mm -hmm. and that's got to be my signature fragrance because it's cost me so much right and I'm the eldest of 13 cousins and it it wasn't until we all got together a few years ago that they all admitted to me that when I used to wear um a particular perfume they absolutely hated it what was the perfume we must know it was it was it was so it was poison Ah. poison was a huge fragrance in the 80s and I used to douse myself in it and they all said oh my god we hated that and I thought I thought that was really funny so years later they're saying we we hated how you smell you know but I think I was very much in the 80s and somewhat the 90s where you you bought into the lifestyle that 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 fragrance gave you it's calvin klein mm-hmm. was another game-changing fragrance mm-hmm. in that you wanted to be kate moss you know particularly mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. something it was a, it was a movement of spirit mm-hmm. but now we're in modern times where whoever you are you can be right so you should be able to choose whatever how your smell your look your fashion your hair color it's very liberating. It's difficult to do a brand because old-fashioned marketing doesn't really work so well because you've got diversity. But what I'd learned from Mac, you know, was diversity. And I'm hoping that, you know, my brand is is going along those lines. And mm-hmm. also empowering individuals to feel happy about their choices and to learn and to not feel ripped off financially, mm-hmm. really, at what they're buying. So you were talking about spending 200 pounds and feeling committed to a fragrance. I think that's a very real thing. If you make a big investment and you regret it, you kind of feel like, well, now I'm stuck with this juice. What were you wearing? I know you were wearing poison. Are there fragrances you associate with your time in London, your time in New York in the 90s or your teenage years? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think definitely. I I think I've spoken about it before, but the one fragrance that most of the people that might be listening to this are far too young, but I just... The, the fragrance commercial that changed my life was Charlie mm-hmm. in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. And we'd come out of very dull post-war times in, in Britain. And, you know, fragrance was kind of old-fashioned and was, you know, the smells that you'd smell off your mom or other people weren't particularly inspiring. But then suddenly this American energetic blonde person was striding across the screen you know Charlie empowering you and I think that to me was where I first connected with what maybe a fragrance could make you feel like and then it was an ANA which was also this French you know um, which was late 70s and early 80s Um, but previously to doing this brand I think I was drawn to more of the niche fragrance brand than the mass fragrance brands Mm -hmm. like you would I wouldn't have bought 
many of the mass brands, um, L'Artisan Perfumery, mm. I was really, really loving. And then I found out that Jerome had done all the L'Artisan perfume. So how strange is that? You oh. know, um, I was lucky in my Mac days to go to lots of lots of times to Paris for fashion weeks and you'd experience a real perfume experience then in small shops mm -hmm. and again that's what I've tried to recreate but on a, a more open level so people can enjoy it not just people who can spend a lot of money or travel to Paris you know. So where do you feel Floral Street falls you know in mass market niche would you consider yourself a niche fragrance line? We are described as such is niche but if you we're niche but at an affordable price so we're fine fragrance mm -hmm. we've got 20% fragrance oil which makes it a really an, an eau de parfum mm -hmm. for any of those that don't know that is not an eau de toilette and the industry doesn't kind of regulate to the consumer on how much perfume oil you need in these things so a lot of the larger brands that you might pay quite substantially for eau de toilette which means they haven't got much perfume oil in them mm -hmm. so I would call us like Mac was described as mastic so so we're a medium price point but delivering a really really good product mm -hmm. um, so we're difficult to put in a box but with that niche idea so if you look at you know the Lartisans they've really informed my brand mm -hmm to having multiple choices right. of good perfume for, for the consumer. Right. Well, you know, as, I, as you were talking about this, I was thinking about, um, you know, you're talking about what was MAC considered. And I feel like a lot of people don't talk about how good the MAC fragrances were. Did you work on that aspect at all? No, I'd left by then. Oh. But yeah, I mean, again, ahead of their time. Um, but maybe because it wasn't a... a you know, a fragrance brand in, in a big organization, it probably wasn't looked upon and supported in that way, I mm -hmm. would think. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, have it, you know, the teams that were working on all of those things are, are really, really good. It's, it's about a time and a place as well, I think, mm -hmm. you know, I, I feel like with Floral Street, I'm in the right time. Mm -hmm to be doing this um, and even the last four years for me as an independent because most fragrances are owned by big big companies that can support them in big ways right um, so it's a little bit more difficult um, difficult to tell your story right well you are a fragrance brand and similar to how Mac was a cosmetics brand launching fragrance you are a fragrance brand going into the home space and I'm curious yes. How has the brand awareness of that been and what was the impetus behind that? Well, I'd had to, I, I kind of visualize where I think something should be, really, brand-wise, mm -hmm. and where I'm going. And, and for Floral Street, just the name makes you kind of smile. Mm -hmm. um, it's very difficult to not think of a flower or a street that might be full of flowers and not feel happy. Mm -hmm. And I'd always seen that we would go into home products, but I sped that up um, during lockdown mm -hmm. because everybody is into, they've really become aware of their space that they work in and live in, how that looks, how that feels, how it smells. Mm -hmm. So this whole idea of sensecaping your life, mm -hmm. I think is, a, is not going to go away as a trend. Mm -hmm. And what I've realized is by creating fun, again, clean products. So again, we've taken out all the kind of what could be perceived as slightly harmful ingredients or 
our wax is a mix, you know, and our candles is, is a mix of soya and um, coconuts, so not paraffin in it. Mm -hmm. So I've sort of taken the idea that we're a clean fragrance band and put it into home. Nobody's really talking about that yet, but I think Nordstrom have uh, really got behind us and we're in 100 doors with them. Uh, and I just see it going hand in hand. And I think creating a lifestyle brand that is positive, not too expensive, around flowers, um, you know, very empowering to the individual. Mm -hmm. I think why wouldn't you take that into home, really? I absolutely agree. And I think, you know, if you are, if you want your body to smell good, it probably extends into your space as well. If, if, if you care about fragrance in general, one thing that I have to say that I was really impressed with because I just haven't seen it before were the reads that you guys mm. are developing um, because I feel for everyone listening, the best way I can describe it, and I'm sure Michelle has a much better way of describing it, but imagine um, like an incense stick that doesn't have to be lit and it just gives off this great sillage into whatever space you're in. And I like the idea of something I don't have to watch and make sure that it uh, doesn't start yeah. a fire or that my cat is going to possibly knock over and like spill all over the apartment. Um, and so I've put them in like little corners that I wish were a little bit more fragrant in my apartment, like in my closet to just make all my clothes smell good. I have one in my yeah. linen drawer. Um, and I, I really... Um, just wanted to oh, just I say thank you. I love you the love reads. That product because no, that was the idea, right? So inexpensive. Whether you're in an apartment, which I've been in in New York, or a, or a, a bigger house here in London, but you know, just having we 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 they're completely plastic free, so they're tightly tightly rolled um, paper, mm -hmm. so you can also recycle them, and they're fragrance, so they're liquidless scent sticks. So if you mm -hmm. imagine a um, a diffuser with with oil in which we also do mm -hmm. but these are individual scent sticks and what it means is exactly what you've done you know back to hose or underwear but I you know I pot one in my um, underwear drawer you got or, it you know in in my wardrobe and even if you've got dried flowers in your home and you put one of those in, it scents them, right. you know, and it's easy, it's long lasting. Um, my assistant puts one in her car, yeah. she likes it as a kind of a car freshener. And it also is completely and utterly recyclable. So mm. why not, you know, and in, a, in, a, in, if you're a student, or you're going to college, you know, they're not allowed candles mm -hmm. in the in the in the rooms, so you can easily pop couple of these in and you've you change your mood as well right. right so you said the corners of your apartment that you wanted to be a bit fragrant it changes your perspective right. on your space right. and I think I'm just really understanding the power of that now mm -hmm. and I'm really enjoying bringing these these products to light and the joy that you know a really inexpensive spend can bring to people's lives on a daily basis really yeah I think also too something about a hideable scent. It kind of is like the equivalent of like someone who just like their shampoo smells good. You know what I mean? Like when you smell someone and you're like, what are you wearing? And they're like, nothing, it's my scent. Like if someone walks into my apartment, they don't see candles and diffusers everywhere. They're just like, oh, it smells good. And I'm like, hmm. oh, that's interesting. Thank you. <laughs> like you can, oh. it's kind of like your little secret, you know, like you don't have to tell anybody yeah. how you got your smell so good. Although I don't gatekeep here. I'm happy to let everybody know if you come into my apartment, it is absolutely the Floral Street reads that I have hidden in little crevices throughout my apartment. But yeah, I really like that. 
I love that you could be our commercial, but I am. Um, I also think that I like to say as people come through the door, you're giving them this fragrant hug, you know, mm -hmm. because I bet when they come in and they say, oh, my God, it smells so good in here. They're immediately like in a in a good place. Right. And it's a real beautiful welcome to people as they as they walk into your space, I think. I want to talk about, you know, you're talking about the smells of your home and I read that your parents own a wine shop. So I'm sure that like tasting great things and having this sense of taste and smell has been a part of your life for a while. They don't now, okay. but, um, you know, because they're, well, my dad's passed away, but my mom um, a long time ago. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I was raised in a, in wine stores. So, it has definitely been part of my life of learning. And my parents would always, they became connoisseurs, but not in a snobbish way. It was in their way of learning so that they knew how to sell to, um, you know, their customers. But what was interesting, when we sat around the table at weekends to eat and we'd have wine, they'd say, what does this remind you of or what does this smell to you mm -hmm. or is this and that's what you remember so I guess really Emma it's thank you for raising this it's subconsciously been with me all the time and it's it's taken me to come to this brand to sort of pass that learning on because with with fragrance you're going to smell you know certain things that remind you of, of things and that's how you remember as well mm -hmm. but it was it was very educational mm -hmm. and they also were not snobs so they'd say you know, just because a wine costs 10 bucks as opposed to 100, the 100 doesn't mean that you're going to like it mm -hmm. or it's going to be great for you. Mm -hmm. So I think it was this way of looking at um, quite a snobbish element of the world at that time, mm -hmm. wine was. But again, at this more inclusive, more what does it remind you of? Mm -hmm. How do you remember? Mm -hmm. You know, so yeah, it's definitely, definitely. And of course, we worked in the stores and um you get to know brand names and, and and different elements and um so it played a huge part in my life mm -hmm. definitely you're touching on something interesting here which is that oftentimes education is tied hand in hand with snobbery and this idea of mm -hmm. sort of taking everything that that you've learned as a as a fragrance founder and passing it on to the consumer and empowering them I, I just think there's a lot of parallels between fragrance and wine. Yeah, I mean, I did have an aha moment. So I'm, I'm, I'm sitting around my dining table making the brand. And uh, my husband and I got invited to, uh, it was a new wine um, club kind of thing. Very cool in London, St. James. So very snobby. And it was, um, it was a place where you could sort of store your expensive bottles of wine. And they just launched this way of sealing the wine. So you could just go in and have a glass and then they'd seal it again mm -hmm. and you wouldn't lose. And I had a fantastic, we're down in the vaults, you know, tasting this wine. I'm standing around and I just thought, this is it. This is what I do with fragrance. Mm -hmm. We call it scent school. We have people standing around to learn. And if you look at what I did in our Covent Garden store, it's a big table. People love getting around tables mm -hmm. together. And so that's what I put in the center of the store. And, it, you know, it becomes this conversation piece, this learning piece. But it's not trying to tell you what you should know, mm -hmm. what you don't know. It's just fun and interesting. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I think if, if a brand is expecting you to part with any dollars on anything, they should be helping you know why that has value, yes. you know, whether it's the very expensive ingredient, whether it's the beautiful way in which it's presented, you know, and what and the art that goes into that. You can't just expect somebody to part with their money and not know anything. That's what, you know, we, we chocolate, coffee, look at look at the last 10 years mm-hmm. of how, you know, gin, all sorts of different things that now modern consumers feel that they know a lot more about, which mm-hmm. I just learned from, I absorbed all of that really and, and put it into fragrance. Mm. I, I think that that's amazing. And I also, I'm thinking about this because it seems like, you know, this started with your childhood and your your parents imparting these conversations with you that made you want to do this. Mm-hmm. Have you passed this on to your children at all? Do you sit and have smelling sessions with them? Oh, my goodness, yes. And, um, you know, my son's now, my New Yorker son, but he lives here, but he's, um, he's 28, but my daughter's 17. And she's literally been with, you know, sitting around the table with the brand from its inception mm-hmm. to now. And she's got very good taste in fruit. In, in fact, her favorite is Sheepra. Mm. Sheepra. Who would think that a 17-year-old and her friends, they love Sheepra. Mm. So to me, that says, I've I've helped educate you right. about ingredients and what's good. And you've you've gone straight to the hundred quid bottle. Yeah. You know? She knows. <laughs> she knows. <laughs> she's gone straight to the Chateauneuf de Pape or whatever. Right, you right. know, she's uh she's not messing around with uh, Chardonnay. So I um it is it's about educating mm-hmm. and and also choosing what you like. She hasn't come to this thinking you know, sheepers for an older person. She's just experiencing the fun of it all and the smell of it all and reacting. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what that's what fragrance should be about, really. Right. Oh, well, it's interesting you say that she and her friends have all gone to the sheep because I had a sommelier on the podcast in a past episode and we were talking about how it's sort of like mapping out your palate, right? And so mm. if you think about like Wonderland Peony, for example, of just a very likable, easy to wear sort of like fresh floral mm-hmm. It's almost like the equivalent uh, in wine of like starting with like the sweet wine and you work your way yes. up and the palate just it, it. So that's it sort of shows just like how deep in your fragrance journey you are, the more challenging fragrances you you wear. Right. It's like you've gone further down yeah. the path. I think it's hard to yeah. start with and, that. And but. also you've educated your nose mm-hmm. with the wine and the fragrance right. you know for the ingredients right. as well and the taste mm-hmm. and we've always raised you know uh I've raised both my kids on I've never said don't try that and don't eat that they both love really great cheeses mm-hmm. and great you know but if you if you if you think somebody won't like it and that's what I think fragrance brands have done Mm -hmm. they think the American consumer is not going to like anything that might be slightly more complex Mm -hmm. so they don't give it to them you know so I um I think you're absolutely right and one of my big goals is to get a bunch of sommeliers into a scent school and see what they think oh interesting and you know do this sort of and we were we were trying to organize this before lockdown and you've just reminded me maybe that's the uh, that's the thing I do Uh okay who is the most fragrant person in your life past or present and what did or do they smell like my goodness um I guess I don't know whether this counts really. I mean, not a fragrant person because they've worn lots of fragrance, but um, 
more I, I do talk about it a lot but my, my grand, great grandmother's house in Ireland was very fragrant and also she she had gardenia mm. she she managed to grow gardenias but um I I guess if you if I equate her very quickly with smell mm -hmm. um I think fragrance wearing wise I think it's got to be a lot of the a lot of the people that I worked with in New York I was shocked when I moved to New York that you get in an elevator and everybody was like really really fragrant right. because because it sort of wasn't the case here right. Um, and then when you work in a cosmetic industry, you know, people are wearing fragrance all the time. So I think I don't know if and, and, and Italian men and Spanish men seem to love wearing fragrance, you know. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's not necessarily a person. It's a really good question. I can't really access somebody that I know in my own personal life that is very fragrant. But I think. I think New Yorkers were very, very fragrant. And I, I, I don't know whether it's because we're so close together and in elevators mm -hmm. that you're worried about how people are going to perceive you. Um, but I remember thinking, oh, my God, there's so much fragrance going on here. Right. And then I now think men, really, um, men are becoming more and more fragrant, really. Even their deodorants that they might wear from, you know, mm -hmm. are very fragrant. So, yeah. That's a great segue to the final segment of the show. You see how I, I tie it all back? Uh -huh. The final segment of the show, Michelle, is called What's That Smell? Mm, what's That Smell? And it is rapid fire scent association. So I will say a person, place, thing, and you just tell me whatever the first smell that comes to mind is. There is no, there's no right or wrong answer. Are you ready to play What's That okay. Smell? I am so ready. Okay. <laughs> Michelle, what is the smell of New York City in the 90s? expensive shoes mm. okay what is the smell of covent garden okay that might be actually rain on cobbled stones Ooh. oh i like that yeah would yeah. that ever inspire a fragrance yeah of course it does you know there's a galban galbanum is um is a, an ingredient which is a bit like damp sort of forest and stuff like that it's a very but yeah covent garden was the original Victorian flower and um, vegetable market. That's why I created Floral Streets. It's actually a street and it was a, a flower market. Mm. So that's what spurred me into doing the brand actually. But yes, it's all cobbled stone. And um, when it's rained in London, it's been a bit dry and it rains on, there's a special smell mm, about that. I love that. You know, this is a, a side note and I'm ruining my own segment, but I feel like every city has its own floral street, whether it's called that or not. Like in, in Manhattan, mm -hmm. it's like in Chelsea in the flower district, like you yep. go on that one street yep. and it's just so fragrant. And I feel like floral street can mm -hmm. be translated to wherever you are because there is some flower district everywhere, right? Absolutely. You can be my head of marketing because okay, that that was the original as thought as well of how it could translate around the world when pre-COVID mm -hmm. when we were opening stores in all different cities. But, yeah. um, but there you Interesting. go. Interesting. Okay. What is the smell of your childhood home? Oh my goodness me. That's um well and what my my I sort of split my time between my my grandparents and um and my mom mom and dad's because of they were working but I I I think they used to toast bread on an open fire mm. and that's an incredible wow. smell but mixed with you know 40 players on tip cigarettes they used to smoke every mm -hmm. day so it's a bit of a mixture of those two but however that whole combination of tobacco um, open fire you know tea 
you know they were Irish mm-hmm. in, in living in in the UK but there's it's kind of this wonderful mixture of incredible fragranced um you know tobacco is used in fragrance mm-hmm. as well but um, of memories really lovely what is the smell of the 16 year old version of you wow um okay two things then it could be super super clean but also I'm glad to say I played a lot of sports mm. and um I'm also glad to say it was that that sort of second skin feeling of of playing a netball match and winning and being the captain and having that sort of slight smell of uh you know exertion really so I think I think there's two parts to me there's the super clean and the slightly fragranced and maybe wearing an ANA at the time Mm. um but I think the positive it's quite interesting when you do this and you rapid fire because that's sort of taken me way back to things that the smells of me that maybe I associate with being quite powerful and and happy Mm. what is the smell of each of your children Oh gosh, pure joy, really. Um, I know, I know the smell of my son really, really well, because him and I lived so closely together in New York right. for so long. Um, and um, my daughter, I guess, it is a mixture like me, really. She's she's very sporty, and and she does that. And then um, she she uses Floral Street, so there's there's a couple of fragrances that I associate now with her a lot. Mm-hmm which is, is going to be really nice so that maybe when she gets older or I'm even older, that I will associate, you know, a sheep if I smell it on somebody as she grows up with her. Right, right. And if and if her taste changes, it will be her specifically as a 17-year-old or, yeah. It, yeah, it'll be her, it'll be her seminary, right, you know, right. which is really nice. Yeah, I love that. Um, okay, I have two more questions for you. What is the smell of Floral Street? Happiness overwhelming joy you come into any room that we're in even our office because we have lots of products in the everybody says oh it just smells so good in here so it's a fine fabulous fragrances not overwhelming your space enhancing your space and bringing you joy and even I hope even if you don't love the fragrance if you look at the name and you look at the packaging it brings you joy but that's what I'm hoping to achieve. Mm, I love that. Okay, the final question. I'm sure you can guess it. Mm-hmm. What is the smell of Michelle Feeney? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, what is the smell of me? You maybe should ask somebody that knows me on that one. But um, warm. Warm. I hope. Warm and powerful. So confidence and comfort. So if I was to tie that into a fragrance, that that would be our wild vanilla orchid, really, mm. because I think that combines comfort and also confidence. And um, I think those two things, I hope, sum me up. Okay. Well, Michelle, it has been an absolute delight talking to you. For everybody listening, I am very happy to announce that Michelle has graciously given Perfume Room listeners a discount If you use Perfume Room 20 at checkout now through June 30th, the year is 2022, in case you're listening to this podcast in five years, I don't know. Um, If you use that code through June 30th, Perfume Room 20, you'll get 20% off any purchase of Floral Street. So Michelle, thank you so much for that gift. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Yeah. And if anyone um, wants to follow you or follow the brand, where can they do that? Oh, they can follow us on Instagram, 
predominantly at Floral Street underscore. Great. Um, and I'm I'm Michelle Feeney as well. I'm not very good at, at keeping that up, but uh, but I am there. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Perfume Room is edited by Wyatt Peak. Music is by Max Vernon, and illustrations are by Israel Rodriguez. 